Welcome back, everybody. This week's episode of the Sports Gospel Podcast. We're excited to be back. It is draft week. It is NBA playoffs week. Darren and Andrew with you on this week's episode, and we're going to change it up a little bit. We did our big draft preview. We'll talk about the draft again here later, but we want to start with the NBA playoffs that we've had going fast and furious here in the first round. Recording this on a Wednesday night, and as we are doing that, the Bucks are about to punch their ticket into the Eastern Conference semifinals. They are all over the Bulls right now. We've got the Nuggets and Warriors coming up for another potential series clinching win. But Mr. NBA, I will let you decide where do you want to start with this thing? East, West, we can kind of go series by series, but which side do you want to start on? Well, let's just start with some of the most surprising things. Uh, And probably the most surprising thing that I didn't expect, we really hyped up the series the last time I was on the pod, the Nets and the Celtics. uh, And the Celtics completely took care of business and swept the Nets, which I did not at all see coming. Um, I figured this would be at least a six or a seven game series. I had an inclination that maybe Boston would win, but I didn't really expect them to just flat out take care of business, shut things down after that game one explosion by Kyrie. They really shut him down and made the Nets completely dependent on KD, and that wasn't enough. So let's just start there and talk about the surprising result there and the fallout that's going to come from that because who knows what the Nets are going to look like next season now that it completely blew up in their face. I'm trying to pretend that series didn't happen. As somebody who went all in on the Nets, I thought KD was going to do it and Kyrie was going to come back. And yes, they were going to be a shallow roster, but I thought just that firepower up top, I thought they would be able to get past the Celtics. The Bucks were going to be a challenge, but I figured the Nets would win the series. Now, losing is one thing, but getting swept, the only team that got swept, I believe. Just an, an awful, awful performance by the Nets. And like you say, I think it's, I wonder, is it time to blow this thing up and just admit that it was an abject failure when they thought, oh, we're going to go all in. And the Durant, Harden, Kyrie thing was maybe, in hindsight, was maybe not as rosy and green pastures as we've heard with Harden just basically saying he wasn't happy to be there and all the issues that come along with these big personalities. I have another point I want to make on that in a minute, but uh, anything else you've got on the nets? Yeah, that's really what I'm wondering is if they should blow it up this off season. I'm not too familiar with the contract situations look like there, but I would imagine that means some sort of trades, uh, but also the the weirdness of the Ben Simmons thing, uh, the whole will he, won't he suit up thing, and then he ended up not suiting up. And now there's all these reports that the team is disgruntled with him a little bit for not suiting up. The coaches and players really expected that he would at least suit up, even if he wasn't going to play. And he, he couldn't even do that much. And so there's also real questions about is Ben Simmons just done with basketball? What's what's going on with him? And there's real questions about another guy as well as Zion Williamson, which I guess we can get to the Pelicans in a little bit because they're another surprising team in this playoffs um, for various reasons as well. But I, I think that's part of the issue here is they – have we ever had a trade where it's been a lose-lose <laughs> for both teams? Because it's, it feels like the Harden-Simmons deal – is almost a lose-lose because we can we can talk about the Sixers here in a second, and they are looking like 
they're trying to fall apart as well. So uh, I'm not really understanding what's going on in the Eastern Conference. Two of the teams that I thought, you know, hey, they're at least going to contend and make things interesting are completely falling apart at the wrong time. I've, I feel bad for none of the people involved in that deal. Team, player, well, I guess the, the ancillary players maybe, but the stars and the franchises, no sympathy involved. Yeah, I don't feel bad at all. I'm just trying to wrap my head around how it's falling apart for everybody that was a part of that deal. Just a completely cursed trade, apparently. So I pulled up the roster, or roster, salaries, at least this is according to Hoops Hype. The Nets have Durant and Ben Simmons both for at least three more years under contract. And Durant's basically going to make 45 to 50 million each year. Ben Simmons is down around 35, going up to 40. Kyrie is the interesting one. Kyrie has a player option coming up this year, so he can decide what he wants to do. Then you go down a little bit, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Javon Carter. But your top three there, yeah, do those those three want to stay together? And that's Brooklyn already has the second highest cap, so they can't really add anybody else big. It's going to have to be a trade or hopefully (laughs) – I, it feels weird to say maybe hopefully Kyrie wants out and doesn't want that player option. Yeah. And that's really their only path forward is does Kyrie want the player option. Okay. No, that gives them a chance to maybe go chase someone in free agents. Um, not really sure what the free agent class looks like this upcoming year. I don't think it's really that strong. Um, Kyrie would immediately be one of the top names on the market if he did decide to go. I, so. You- You've basically got Zach Levine and Bradley Beal are your two other top guys who would be coming available. Yeah, and I don't know if either of those guys is a realistic option or really any sort of an upgrade from Kyrie. Maybe, maybe Beal a little bit of an upgrade from Kyrie when healthy, but I don't think it really solves all the Nets' problems. I've, I've got it. Harden also has a player option. Kyrie re-signs with the Nets. Harden passes on his player option, returns to the Nets, and then all four of them are together. This was a master plan by the Nets the entire time to get all four guys and fleece that the Sixers be, in the process. That would be um, that would be quite the master <laughs> plan. Um, I don't see it. Ah. I don't see it. So I guess we can we can stay Eastern Conference and pivot a little bit to those Sixers who had a three zero lead. Looked like they were on the verge of a sweep. And then surprisingly, Toronto has won the last two games. And Bede probably needs surgery on his shooting hand on his thumb after the season. And he's trying to play through it, which I commend him for. But you can clearly tell that he's affected by it and he's not quite the same. And Harden isn't really picking up the slack at all. In fact, Harden is having one of his worst playoff performances of his career at the wrong time. Doc Rivers is coaching the team. He's known for breaking down in the playoffs and blowing a couple of 3-1 leads as well and underachieving in the playoffs as well outside of maybe a couple of years with the Celtics. Um, What's going on here? Like, Are are we really about to witness the first team ever blow a 3-0 lead? It feels like this is going down to a game seven, so it could happen. I've never trusted James Harden in a pressure playoff situation. 
Embiid, I'm still not convinced he's as great. It's despite he had a great year. He's basically a first or second team all NBA guy. Great season for him, MVP candidate. But yeah, I I don't know what the Sixers with this crop have done in the playoffs to make me ever believe that, yes, they're going to get over the hump this year. Now, granted, are the Raptors playing out of their mind? Yes, this is not what I expected out of this team. I thought the Sixers would get through this and then get beat up by the Heat. But I think it's almost more props to Toronto. That's what we always talk about with them. Well-coached, tenacious, all those gritty type adjectives we use. But the Raptors are out there playing lights out right now and serves the Sixers right for this. This is your battle of your sizzle versus your steak. Yeah, absolutely. And they're finding ways to put Embiid in some really tough situations defensively, and he just cannot handle it. Um, They're almost making him borderline unplayable on defense with some of the lineups that they're throwing out there. And so I think this is real danger time for, uh, for Philly, especially since, you know, we've got a game six coming up tomorrow night in Toronto and, and I fully anticipate that Toronto is going to win that game. And also if, if uh, Embiid had not hit that miraculous three to win game three, we're, we're looking at a completely different series right now. We're looking, we're looking at a, possibly a three, two with Toronto trying to close it out in Toronto tomorrow night. We're looking at three, two, the other way. So Philly's really lucky to still have the lead in the series. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a little bit too much of a hill to climb for Toronto to win this in seven, but they're going to push this to seven and Philly's going to have to figure out a way to get it done in Philadelphia in game seven, I think they will, but I really don't like their prospects beyond this round. They're facing a Miami team that took care of business against Atlanta, a little bit of a hiccup in one game, but really for all intents and purposes, took care of business. And if this is the way Philly is going to go into the next round, they really aren't going to stand a much of a chance against Miami. Yeah, both of these teams feel like they'd be running into a buzzsaw. That is the Miami Heat. Now that my nets have completely fallen apart, the East feels like it's a Heat-Bucks collision again, which this just mirrored we had that a couple times in the last handful of years for the Eastern Conference crown. Yeah, they've definitely uh, they've matched up with each other in the playoffs multiple times. Uh, the Bucks beat the Heat in the Eastern Conference in the bubble to make it to the finals against the Lakers. Um, but also Milwaukee got their revenge, I believe, in the first round last year on their way to a championship. So I, I feel like we're headed for Heat's Bucks, although the Middleton injury gives me a lot of pause about Milwaukee. I think um, with how good Boston is defensively, you've got Robert Williams, who's probably the best defender on the Celtics, even though Smart won Defensive Player of the Year. Robert Williams is the best best defender on that team. Smart, obviously, incredible defender. Jalen Brown's a good defender. Jason Tatum um, and Al Horford are also plus defenders. And so they're, they're just so good defensively, and also that lineup can get it done offensively. Milwaukee kind of needs that Chris Middleton at his best, along with Giannis, just being Giannis, which we know he's going to do regardless of if Middleton plays or not. We know Giannis is going to put on 
a great performance and a great series and keep the Bucks in the heat of this thing, it's really going to come down to whether or not Middleton can come back and what he looks like when he comes back. The Celtics really have the guys to kind of put the clamps on a guy like Drew Holiday or Brooke Lopez. They can kind of play lineups where Lopez kind of almost becomes unplayable. I don't really think we're setting up for a Bucks heat. I'm really thinking without Middleton around, I'm really I'm really feeling like this is tipping Celtics now. I'm really feeling like the East is kind of Boston's to lose with the way things have tipped. Stop it. I do I do think I do think the way that Bucks Celtics goes, the winner of that is going to be your Eastern Conference representative in the finals. I just I really have this feeling about Boston now with um with Middleton being out. I think that's just a massive concern for Milwaukee. I think it's the the development of Derek White, Robert Williams, Daniel Tice, these guys. Because we knew Tatum and Brown are going to be good. Al Horford's the ageless wonder. Kind of forget he's around the league sometimes, but he's always going to be great. Marcus Smart's established his spot. But Boston has a great here down the stretch. I just wonder why were they so terrible at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I, I think uh, Udoka challenged them. Um, in the middle of January, he said, you know, we have to show more heart, more mental toughness. We're just mentally soft and weak. And the players really responded to that. And they kind of haven't been the same since. So I think, you know, I promised you seven with the Celtics and the Nets last round. I think even without Middleton, we're looking at a seven game series here just because of the sheer greatness of Giannis, but I think it's a little bit too much to ask with Al Middleton being available. And I'm not sure that he will be because of the timeline with how the Bucks series is ending. Like he, he may be available for a game seven. If that's the case, if Middleton comes back swinging for a game seven, I like the Bucks in that scenario. I'm just not sure that that's, that's what's going to happen. Therefore, I like Boston in Boston in the game seven in this second round. Oh. I'm not going to jump ship on the Bucks, but it, I, I appreciate it should that. be a fun series. Like more of a defensive. I want to, I'm going to make a point here in a minute, but look at the defense we have here in the Eastern Conference. If, if it does end up being the Heat, the Bucks, and the Celtics all there. Yeah. I mean, you pointed it out. The, the defense of the Eastern Conference teams is pretty good. And, that's why I think uh, no matter who the Western Conference representative is, they're going to be able to challenge that Western Conference representative defensively and make things interesting. I, I think know a lot of people have piled on and said the Western top is better than the top of the East, but top to bottom, I think uh, the East is a lot more competitive as we've talked about. And it's mainly because of the, the defensive lineups that teams like Milwaukee, Boston, Miami can throw out there. And tying into that, stick with me on this. You can tell me if I'm right or if I'm crazy. So look at Miami. Yes, they brought in Jimmy Butler, but drafted a lot of these guys. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo. Toronto Raptors drafted these guys. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Fred Van Vliet. The Bucks. Yeah, they went out and they've added some guys, but drafted Giannis mainly. And Boston drafted Jalen Brown, drafted Jason Tatum. 
are we getting back into an era of basketball of where the draft matters? I feel like it kind of started with the Celtics with their big three with Allen, Pierce, and Garnett that we're going to get these super teams and all these all-stars want to play together. But look who's struggling. We talked about the Nets falling apart, the Embiid, Harden, Sixers struggling. I think you have the same thing when you look at the West, Suns, Jazz, Nuggets, Grizzlies, even the Pelicans have done pretty well with guys they've drafted. Are we trending back into this NBA style where you have to get your draft right? You just can't go out there, dump a bunch of money at the feet of the superstars and expect them to win because you look at Ben Simmons, James Harden, Russ, even though I do love Russell Westbrook, but just throwing him in here. What have a lot of these guys won, these big-name guys who teams are always going to make these monster deals for, but is it really worth it in the end when you could just stay pat and you know, build through the draft and with smart moves, build actual team, core, chemistry? Yeah, I think you're really pointing out something as, that's really great, and I, I feel like it is sort of swinging to where the draft does matter. I think we're seeing teams – are realizing you have to draft well in addition to making key um, free agent moves and signings. So Milwaukee, you mentioned it, Giannis and Middleton, two draft picks that they hit on. Um, they realized that Holiday was going to be a good fit. They realized that Brooke Lopez was going to be a good fit around Giannis and Middleton. So they went out and got those guys, and they were able to get those guys at a relatively – decent price as well. So I think uh, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a swing back to the era of roster construction rather than going for big splashy trades and free agent signings is nice, but it, it kind of leaves your bench or your depth shorthanded. And so you, you kind of want to have a superstar, a guy that you can go to like Tatum on the Celtics, like Giannis on the Bucks. You can go to those guys when you need a bucket late, but you also have secondary guys who are comfortable with being secondary guys like Middleton, like Holiday, who can who can put on those performances that you need. It kind of makes your team more well-rounded. You don't have the same star power as the Nets with Katie and Kyrie, but your team is more well-rounded. It's deep. It's, it's better balanced, and that's why you're more successful. And I just... I feel, I feel like I'd be so mad if my team went out there and gave 40 to $50 million to Ben Simmons, Harden, Kyrie, somebody like that who, yes, I know Kyrie got a championship, but he had peak LeBron leading him. But I've, I, why would I want my team to shell out money for a guy who may or may not care? I think it's been well discussed that Ben Simmons doesn't love basketball. He loves the lifestyle basketball provides. But I feel like looking at the Bulls, highest paid player in the Bulls is DeMar DeRozan. And that's because he's been around for a long time. He's only making $26 million. Vucevic, Levine, Alonzo, all these great guys who came together who made this uh, terrific run to the playoffs this year that nobody expected out of Chicago. I feel like I'd rather have that team ball than, oh, my my team's going to give $40 million to an alleged superstar and hope that he leads us to the promised land when that's really not the way the NBA is working now. Right, yeah. You pointed out the Bulls. I don't know if uh, people didn't expect them to make the playoffs. I think after all the moves they made, they were definitely expected to make the playoffs. But, yeah, I like I like it a lot better when we have teams that have this, this sort of chemistry that kind of comes together. We're kind of seeing it with the Warriors. I mean, guys that they drafted and they've paid big contracts to, Curry, Thompson, Green, been there for forever. But another guy that they drafted, 
Jordan Poole coming on big in the playoffs and maybe propelling them to a run here that I didn't expect. I guess we can flip over to the West because we, we've kind of talked through the East. Um, Nuggets Warriors. I really expected that one to be quite the series as well. And I even was all over the Nuggets. Maybe I shouldn't have been in retrospect. It seems like the Murray and the Porter injuries have really kind of hampered the guard court of the Nuggets to where they can't keep up with Curry, Thompson, Poole, everything that the Warriors can throw at them. Warriors are going to win this tonight as we're speaking. They're playing later, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. They're winning this in five. And so they look they look really good. They look like a team that could make a run to the uh, NBA Finals. Is it just me or do the Nuggets and the Jazz both feel like they're just limping through this? Just too many injuries, too much wear and tear. Yeah, that, that is exactly kind of how it feels. And I guess we can talk about the Jazz. I don't know if you had anything to say about Nuggets Warriors, but nope, the I Jazz the Warriors, were, so I'm happy. Yeah, I, I know you would be happy with that. I really expected more out of Jokic too as well, but they've really found some ways to counteract him that I just did not expect the Warriors to come up with. So um, Warriors have been really impressive, but you mentioned the Jazz that that is they're up there with the nets and one of the most being one of the most disappointing teams in the playoffs. Obviously Luka Doncic was hurt in the first two games and they split those games with the Mavericks, which I think that was really Utah's chance to put their foot down and say, Luka's out. We're going up two Oh, we're going to take care of business against you guys and move on to the second round. And now with the way it looks, it looks like, Dallas has got this in the bag. Luca's back. They're feeling good about themselves. Dallas is definitely on their way to the second round because they were able to split those first two games. They really had a chance to win both of those games, but Utah was able to pull out game one. Donovan Mitchell is now banged up, and so now it's danger time for Utah. So it's completely flipped because they played around they weren't able to put their foot down on Dallas early, and therefore they're going to pay. Um, they're going to pay for that. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe there's a trade that Utah needs to make in the off season. Um, I'm wondering if they need to maybe move on from Gobert. Hmm. I don't think they are going to move on from uh, from Mitchell. He's kind of their franchise guy, but I think the Gobert Mitchell pairing has kind of run its course and they might need to, they may need to move on from that. Is there still some residual stuff? Wasn't during COVID that those two kind of got into it. I think Rudy Gobert was the first NBA player to really come down with COVID and kind of woke up the league. So one of those things where we were told that they ironed it out and they just wanted it to go away, but maybe they're still behind closed doors. There's still some festering issues between the two. Yeah, I think there's definitely some festering issues between the two behind closed doors. And they, because otherwise, they still have that core. I know it feels like Mike Conley and Bogdanovich have been around for a while, but they both are under contract for at least one more year. That's the thing. They have Gobert and Donovan Mitchell both signed through 25, 26. So that would be a monster trade if they can 
you'd, you'd think somebody would want the best defensive big in the game. So you'd probably get back a good haul for Gobert, but the rest of that well, core, the, the spider Conley, Bogdanovich Clarkson, Royce O'Neal, the main guys are all under contract. Well, this kind of leads into the next series maybe that we can talk about, but I'm really thinking that in this off season, a go bear for Carl Anthony towns trade makes a lot of sense. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like go bear fits more with what Minnesota is trying to do this, this tough, gritty um, persona mentality. They already got Patrick Beverly who kind of brings that. Carl Anthony Towns has been good in the series against the Grizzlies, um, borderline great at moments, but I really think it's Anthony Edwards' team, and Minnesota needs to build around Edwards and not rely on maybe the inconsistency of Towns because he had that disastrous game four, I believe it was, where they only took four shots. Um, that was just a complete disaster as Minnesota blew two 20-plus point leads, one in each half, and blew that game. And they blew the game late last night against the Grizzlies as well. And now they're down 3-2 when really they should be maybe finished with the series in five. They really had the chance to win this thing in five games and really blew their opportunity and now their backs are against the wall. I do think they're going to force a game seven, but I think uh, Towns would be a better fit with Mitchell just because he's not Gobert, basically. <laughs> um, and the money checks out, I believe, and I think Gobert would just be a much better fit for what the Timberwolves are trying to do long term. I just Do you want to give up the best defensive big in the game for – when I think defense, I do not think Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, no, not at all. And I think that would be a little bit of a shift for Utah. They'd kind of go from this mentality of, okay, we have an offensive superstar in Mitchell and a defensive superstar in Gobert to, we have offensive superstars now. We're just going to try to outscore you. And also, Quinn Snyder is of the philosophy that you should shoot as many threes as possible. Right. Carl Anthony Towns loves shooting threes. Yeah, he's not jab. afraid to chuck him up there. He'd fit perfectly in that system because he's not afraid to chuck him up there at all. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's an interesting concept. I didn't consider that. It just it sounds so weird on paper, but yeah, for as much as the Jazz love to chuck, yeah, it. I think they've kind of seen the peak of where Mitchell Gobert can lead them, so it's time to try something different. I don't know if that means a Gobert for Towns trade because I don't know if Minnesota would be up for it, but I think it's time to, you know, you've kind of seen the ceiling of what this core can bring you. So it's time to move on from one of the two. And I don't think it's Mitchell. And this is not an indictment of Quinn Snyder. I'm just using this as a reference point. He started with the jazz in 2014, took a couple of years to get it going two slow years, but then they have made the playoffs every year since 2016. So one, two, three, this is their sixth straight trip to the playoffs they've never been to the conference finals under Quinn Snyder as great as they've been they've been you know one of the top one or two seeds in the west multiple times but they've never made it even to the conference finals so as much grief as we give Chris Paul or the Clippers or all these different people the Jazz are drifting towards that same boat yeah I do think that is an indictment of Quinn Snyder's 
can he lead that team to where they need to go? And I think the answer is no. So I don't know who they can get that's better, but I think clearly the answer is we aren't winning a championship with this roster. We aren't winning a championship with this coach. Things need to change. Shakeup has to happen in order to kind of reach the full potential. And it reminds me a little bit of Milwaukee in the Jason Kidd era. Ew. They, they had a good roster, a talented roster that could make the playoffs, but they couldn't get to that next step. They got Budenholzer. They made a trade that involved them getting to holiday and look, they broke through. They won a championship. They're, fully in contention for another championship this year. And as long as they've got the core of holiday Middleton and Giannis, you would assume that they're going to be in contention for championships with that core, but also Budenholzer, he's had some gaffes here and there, but he was able to make the adjustments last year in the finals against the Suns. I couldn't imagine Quinn Snyder in the same position, doing the same thing at all. So that's to me that signals there needs to be a change. Doesn't this kind of feel like what the Raptors didn't they do this to Dwayne Casey, where he was really good and built the team and got him to the playoffs, but he could never beat LeBron. So they fire him and the next year Nick Nurse wins the title. Yeah. Isn't that how that it, worked out? Yeah, exactly. And that's another good example of a changing coaching, um, some free agent moves, some trades, choir Kyle Kawhi Leonard and and get it done. I'm not seeing a go bear for towns trade instantly makes them contenders. I'm not sure that it does at all, but I do think you make that kind of a move. You get a new coach. Maybe you're going places. It'll work out when Quinn Snyder gets the Lakers job next year. I could see that. I could also see a guy who's flaming out doc rivers in LA next year. Oh, geez. All right. Uh, you touched on it there a minute, the Grizzlies T wolves. I'll admit I've not watched much of this one. It's fun to see the highlights though. And good for the Timberwolves. They're so bad all the time. And I didn't think they would even make, I thought they'd be done after the play in, but here they are giving the Grizzlies everything they want Two feel good stories. I'm happy for whoever wins this. Uh, you're going to get served up to the warriors in the semifinals. So you know, just be prepared for that. But either way, I'm happy for either one of these teams that wins. I'm not entirely sure that the Grizzlies would be served up to the Warriors. I do think the Wolves would, but I think the the Grizzlies may have a little bit of something to say about the Warriors thing. I think that will be a good series. Memphis is going to pull this one out in game seven in Memphis. I do think Minnesota is going to push it to seven. This has been a crazy series, wild, probably the best series of the first round right here between these two teams. So I think Memphis in seven, and it's going to provide a couple more highlight moments for us before we're, before we're done. And I believe that leaves us with the one versus eight series. And I don't think anybody saw this coming. The once hapless Pelicans are now pushing the top seeded Suns to the limit. I watched this game last night and I thought the Pelicans were finally going to do it. I think late in the game, they had it down to six points and then the Suns kind of pulled away at the end. But the Pelicans hanging right in there. I would it be fun to see them win it? Yes. I I don't think they can beat the Suns, but now I would not be shocked if this goes seven. Yeah, and I fully anticipate that it will. 
Um, the Booker injury here is really what shook up this series. Things were really rolling for Phoenix in game one with Booker. Um, with Booker, I think this is a very short series. The Booker injury has just really changed things. And also, apparently New Orleans learned that without Booker, you can full court press Chris Paul and it will frustrate him. They've done it multiple times where Jose Alvarado's come in and full court press Chris Paul, and it's really frustrated him. So they've been able to do some things, and also Brandon Ingram is playing out of his mind. He's put up some sort of stats where he's on par with, like, LeBron and Michael Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain. Like, he's had some incredible stat lines in the series that have put him in that sort of rarefied air. I'm not saying he is any of those guys. I'm just saying he's having that kind of series and that's really what it's taken to get us to this point. McCollum's been good too. Um, Pelican's just playing really well. There's really a, a bright future, especially if Zion decides he's ever going to play and is capable of playing, uh, getting to the level that we know he's capable of. He's capable of an all-star level of basketball and you throw that into the mix of the guys that they've got now with the defined rules they've got, the Pelicans really have something. I think this is going seven, but I'll take Phoenix and Phoenix in game seven to advance to the next round and play Luca and the Mavs. As we, as we see the jazz kind of slipping and we may be presuming their death way too early and, you know, the Mavericks and the Grizzlies, I don't think either of these teams are really set in stone. I think you could be looking at the Pelicans here as a standard top four team in the West with this core they have that you mentioned. We, I think you developed quite the little man crush on the this Pelicans roster with the Jackson Hayes and the Alvarados and the Herb Jones that nobody else knew before two weeks ago. But Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, that is a good one-two punch. And like you mentioned, if Giannis ever becomes what he's supposed to be, if that's their trifecta, if those three all gel together, that's a heck of a roster. And you have those other guys as your role players. You said Giannis, but you meant Zion. That guy. He has uh, he has some Giannis-like qualities. I don't think he's ever going to be that level, but you're right. If he can just get on the court simply and play at anything close to an all-star level, well, now you've got three all-star players and some awesome role guys like Jackson Hayes, like Valanciunas, Alvarado, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, which I was I was commenting on when I was watching the game the other night, is he's shooting lights out from three. I mean, and he wasn't like that at all in college. So there's a, a lot of guys that have developed for the Pelicans. They're they're really building something there. Even without Zion, they're still building something. They can they can find a way to improve that roster even without Zion. And I don't know if they would be top four in that scenario, but they could certainly be better than the eighth seed next year, I would assume. This may just be me, but does Jonas Valanciunas look like a Bond villain? Maybe I'm Absolutely. the only person who thinks that way. <laughs> he, he looks a little bit like Travis Kelsey too. No, I had not thought of that one. I just watched him the other night and I was like, he looks like he should be playing some evil European billionaire in a Bond movie. Oh, yeah. If Travis Kelsey were a Bond villain, that would be Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> but he's getting it done for them. Absolutely. So 
all in all, exciting NBA playoffs for a lot of reasons. I kind of just hope we get some of these star players healthy that have been um, kind of on the sidelines. We need Middleton back. We need Booker back. We need these guys healthy to really make a more compelling playoffs going forward. So despite all that and all these great series, did you go chalk every round now? Suns, Mavericks, Warriors, Grizz. He, did you yeah. did you decide to jump ship on the Sixers and officially pick the Raptors? Are you sticking with Philadelphia despite their I'm, I'm sticking with Philadelphia despite their flaws. I just I can't pick the three zero comeback until it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, which the Raptors have probably the best chance of any team that's ever tried to tried to do it. But I think the Sixers will eventually pull it out in Game Seven. And I know it feels like we're piling on here, but I want to go back to this Ben Simmons thing because you talked about Brandon Ingram, some of these other guys. It kind of has me thinking, if you go back to the 2016 draft, as we stand today, who are you taking first overall? Let me I can give you some of the names here. Um, here are your top scorers from that draft in order. Buddy Heald, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam, DeMontis Sabonis, and Jamal Murray. Uh, Ben Simmons is down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ben Simmons is ninth on that list. You've also got guys like Deontay Murray in there. Um, some other ones, but I think those are your top. Would you rather, if, if you could have the first overall pick in 2016, are you sticking with Ben Simmons or does a buddy heel, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam, DeMontis Sabonis, Jamal Murray sound like a better option today? Well, I think based off of, it's always tough when we ask these kinds of questions because we get the benefit of seeing where these guys are years down the road. I think at the time Ben Simmons was obvious number one consensus right. pick. Um, I I really liked Ingram because he reminded me a lot of Kevin Durant with his frame, with the way he could get to his spots and score. And that's maybe it's taken a while, but he's kind of manifesting into like a poor man's version of Kevin Durant. And I think I would have taken Ingram number one, and I would take Ingram number one over Ben Simmons. There were some things about Ben Simmons in college I didn't particularly like how he kind of quit on LSU. Some of these warning signs were kind of there, but I think the potential of him was too much for the Sixers to pass on taking him number one. But I I think if I were in the same spot, I would have really been tempted and probably would have gone with Brandon Ingram just because I think that scoring, scoring matters. So I think I would have gone Ingram. I, as I look at it now, I would have gone Jalen Brown, but that's because I had the advantage of researching this beforehand and you just got the question thrown at you. But the Sixers did have some bigs. They really didn't have great guard play. So that's really my only argument for sticking with a guard. And if you're not going to go Ben Simmons, I think Jalen Brown's your next best option. I do really like Jamal Murray, but he's been injured so much lately. It's weird to me that Buddy Heald like, leads this class in so many things. Minutes played, points. He does decent rebounds, high in assists. It's Weird that we, nobody ever talks about Buddy Heald, but he actually has had a very good NBA career. But you play for the Kings, that's what happens. 
Well, and to make matters worse for Philly, I mean, they really compounded their mistake the next year by taking Markel Fultz when they had Jason Tatum right there. Trust the process. Yeah, trust the process. It's led to Embiid, which is great. (laughs) But I'm just imagining a roster with Embiid, Ingram, Tatum. Right. That sounds like a championship roster. So they, what year did we start trusting the process? Was that 2013 or was Embiid the first one in 2014? I believe that it was 2013 where the process really began because they were clearly tanking. Okay. Um, so that's where Embiid was drafted in 2014. But in the year leading up to that, that's where the process really began. So, and I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation on the show before, but just, just to remember what trusting the process has gotten them. 2013, Michael Carter-Williams was actually very good his rookie year. I don't know what happened after that, but pretty sure he was the rookie of the year. 2014, all right, you get Embiid. That one hits. Alfred Payton, who I think is still bounced. Well, I guess he got flipped to Orlando that night, so we'll skip him. You got Embiid in 2014. 2015, Jaleel Okafor. 2016, Ben Simmons, Firkin Korkmaz, and Timothy Luau Gabarro or however you properly pronounce those names, you know them better than I do. I call them TLC. Okay. Uh, You got Markel Fultz, Landry Shamit. They drafted Mikhail Bridges, who they flipped to the Suns. How much does that one hurt now? Hurts a lot. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is actually doing okay. I guess, I don't know if this is technically still considered the process these last couple drafts, but... No, not so much anymore. Tyrese Maxey is post-process because the process has really been run its course. So, but Maxi was obviously a good pick, but yeah, outside of Embiid, it's, it's a lot of failed picks. Oh, I don't even know where Okafor is anymore. Fultz quickly went to the magic. Simmons is gone. Landry Shamit's a role player. I think somewhere in the league. Landry Shamit's a role player for uh, Phoenix. Nice. And Mikhail Bridges, also a son who is one of those draft and trade right away things. So the guy was never actually going to go to Philly, but. Trust the process. Yeah, the process has not yielded as great results as there could have been. I mean, it really started with that Okafor selection the year after Embiid. I didn't. I, I liked Okafor, but I didn't really understand the pick there. Yeah, Embiid, Okafor, Ben Simmons, and Markel Fultz were all top three picks. Man, and I mean. Looking at the rest of that draft and what they had to pick from, I mean, Devin Booker was available, but nobody thought Devin Booker would become what he is. But they could have taken a chance on on Porzingis, which I would have rather had Porzingis than Okafor. Yeah, that's one of the things we have to remember. It's easy for us to sit here now, but you look at that. I've got the 2015 draft in front of me. The 2017 one uh, may hurt a little bit more. But the 2015 one, yeah, it's like, oh, well, who would they have taken if not Jula Okafor? Because his career may not have panned out the way we wanted, but you look at the rest of that class, and it's like, oh, best case scenario, it turned churned out a lot of role players, and then Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, and D'Angelo Russell were gone by the time it got to them. Right. But it's a, a very a very role player-y heavy draft, plus Devin Booker would have been the only other option. Yeah, and, well, I really, you know, Porzingis was definitely a thought of as a possible top three picks. So that's maybe the only realistic possibility that I would have given a thought to because 
the notes on Booker were that, you know, he'd be a nice shooter, a nice three and D guy, possibly not the superstar that he is. But that that twenty seventeen one hurts way more. They passed on Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, John Collins, Bam Adebayo, Dylan Brooks, Jared Allen, Laurie Markkinen, OG Ananobi, even Lonzo. Like, oh gosh. Yeah, Bam. Much of that Bam hurts. Adebayo. I don't know if you mentioned him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Ouch. Yep. So, anyways, we we can move it along. We could okay. go all day about the Sixers' failings. It's 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 fun. Yeah, it is fun. Well, speaking of messing up drafts, we probably messed up plenty on our mock draft last week. We didn't actually talk about the drafts too much. We just really got right into the picks. But this week, uh, anything else going on in the NFL draft world around the eve of that, you can listen to this during the draft. But you were not on last week, so we did not get any of your takes on the NFL draft to come. A very weird year, not a lot of quarterbacks. It just feels like a big mystery year. Nobody really quite knows what to expect. Even the top players have a lot of question marks. So going to be yeah. a very unique year for the NFL draft. I, yeah, it definitely is because I once you get past like the top 15, it feels from like 16 through 60, there's not a ton of separation in talent and production between all those guys. It's like a guy that could go end of second round, could go in the first round on Thursday <laughs> night. And it wouldn't surprise me because there's not that clear delineation because I think once you get to that middle first this year, end of first this year, those are kind of guys that would maybe be second round guys in previous years. And so I think there's just kind of a lack of talent that is going to kind of make things interesting on Thursday night. I think there's plenty of talent production at the top but like you mentioned no franchise quarterbacks here that i can see although inevitably three or four quarterbacks are going to be drafted in the first round just because the teams are desperate for a quarterback and they want to lock it up i fully expect some trade downs tomorrow night i think there's going to be a lot of trade downs i could see the Jets, the Lions, the Giants, all those teams, especially the Giants, they've got two top top 10 picks. I could see them trading down to acquire more picks to build out their roster more. Um, the Lions could do something similar. I don't know if they're fully set on Aiden Hudson. Maybe they want to build their roster a little bit more by trading down. I, I think there's going to be plenty of draft night trades, and I don't think it's because – teams are going to want to trade up to get their guys. It's more of we can maybe get guys that we like later on. Let's trade down. Let's get out of this round. That's, I think that's going to happen a lot. That's what really stands out to me about this year's class is how many teams don't have first round picks. And it makes this, is that a sign that a lot of teams are just like, ah, oh, this draft's not worth it. Let's look at the future. But then you've got your Philly, new Orleans, the New York teams that you mentioned, with multiple picks, it, it doesn't Packers, make me wonder. Packers yeah, have two first round picks that they're not going to use on wide receivers. Possibly not. And I may not blame them depending on who falls. I don't think they're actually going. That's another prediction that I'm going to make is that Green Bay is not going to pick at 22 and 28. 
They're going and, to be trading those picks somehow. I don't know in what direction they're going to go with it, but those picks, one or multiple of those picks is going to be traded. I wish I could say it was for Debo Samuel and San Francisco would love to get in the first round, but the Packers just love to live on the cheap and getting a giving a first round up for Debo Samuel feels like an anti-Packer thing to do. Yeah, I don't think Debo Samuel is realistic um, solely from the possi- from the angle of no way in hell the 49ers are trading with the Packers. Uh, so that's just not happening. The realistic trade that I could see maybe is a Terry McLaurin trade. Hmm. A Green Bay trade for Terry McLaurin, um, which I personally would love. I know we've also been linked to Darren Waller. Sounds like that's not going to happen. That's been shut down. So anybody expecting a, a trade for Darren Waller is going to be sorely disappointed as well. Um, I'm fine with uh, sticking at 22 and 28. I just don't know who it's going to land us. I think I want Olave of the guys that are maybe most realistic. I think maybe next on the list would be Burks. But if that doesn't happen, I'm okay with maybe waiting to the second round for a guy like George Pickens to fall, who I think could be really talented, but may fall because of some off-field stuff, some injury stuff. He could be a, a nice second-round pick, a Christian Watson in the second round. Um, I think those are good options as well. And so I think Green Bay kind of has the luxury. I know a lot of people are going to make a big deal about, oh, no, they didn't draft a wide receiver in the first round again. But they also have the potential to really make the roster more talented than it's ever been. And if that means drafting a receiver, great. But I could see them – taking an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman with their first round picks instead. Why help Aaron Rodgers? Uh, no, I think, I think it could be a night of chaos. It's probably not going to be as wild as we expect. And let's remember that fans that this week is full of so much hot air and rumors and bluster and people trying to throw smoke screens at each other that we're going to hear all this craziness and it's going to end up being all the rumors were just that rumors and it's all going to be settled and Kyler Murray's going to get his extension and all these great things. But I do think there's going to be some movement, a, a team who doesn't have a first round pick a 49ers, a Colts, a bear, somebody's going to make a splashy move. There's somebody that they're falling in love with who we, we won't know it till the draft actually begins, but it can't quite give you the team, but I think somebody's going to make a big move to jump up high in the first round. Yeah, I could absolutely see it. I just don't know. Like you said, don't know who that team's going to be, but I I could definitely see it. I've got my eye on the Falcons and the Seahawks because Seattle just likes to do weird things and give up first round picks. And you'd think there'd be a great offensive lineman there for them. Or if they love a Kenny Pickett, a Matt Corral or a Malik Willis sitting there at nine. But also I I am convinced Atlanta is going to be the worst team next year. And they're just biding their time till they can draft Bryce Young or CJ Stroud next year. I think Atlanta is going to be awful. I think they would love to trade their first round this year, go back, you know, slide back this year, get a first, get an extra first rounder for next year. So I think that could be where a lot of the chaos starts is Atlanta there at number eight, trying to slide back because it's not going to be a great year in Georgia. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with Atlanta believing that they're going to be bad. Don't want to say they're intentionally tanking, but yeah, 
they're probably intentionally tanking the season for good reason. Um, have a have a friend who's a big Falcons fan, and uh, he uh, they've been mocked to draft Drake London at the eighth pick, and he said, you know why? Um, we kind of need to tank this year, get our weapons at a later date after we've got the franchise quarterback in, in place. We can wait until second round receiver because Falcons have multiple picks in the second round, multiple picks in the third round. So uh, I could see them wanting to acquire more picks to maybe build out the roster a little bit more rather than sticking at eight and drafting like a Drake London type or, or anybody else who might be available. I completely agree. And I know this is going to sound foolish because we have all the evidence to the contrary, but I feel good about the Detroit Lions options this year. Pick number two and three total picks in the top 34. I think there's going to be guys waiting for them. Uh, this is going to tie into my other point. If Aiden Hutchinson somehow falls to them at two, going to be the great hometown hero and be the face of the Detroit Lions immediately as the Michigan kid played for the university. But another wide receiver to pair with Amon Ross St. Brown, if they can get a cornerback, this feels like a really strong defensive bat class. Maybe not your super top end guys, but some good role players. If they can come away with this with an edge rusher, a wide receiver and a defensive back, dare I say maybe a quarterback, if somebody's sitting there at 34, like a, a if, if a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral or a Sam Howell sitting there with those three picks in the top 34, I feel like there's a lot of great options here for the lions. And we don't get to say that very much. Yeah, you're right. And I think the lions are going to be smart enough to punt on the quarterback position until next year. I think they're going to, they're, they're getting Aiden Hudson if they say it too. Because for whatever reason, the Jaguars have talked themselves into Trayvon Walker at number one, um, which I can't, I can't make any sense of it because his production doesn't say elite edge rushing talent, which is what the Jaguars are projecting projecting him to be. He looks like he might be an elite edge rusher, but his college numbers don't say that. I think Jack- Jacksonville is over, way overthinking it. They should just take Hutchinson and get it over with, but they're going to take Trayvon Walker almost assuredly. And so Detroit's getting Hutchinson if they stay at two. Yeah, and I, I like Trayvon Walker. I think he's definitely a first-round pick, but this is my cardinal rule with the NFL draft. Late risers really concern me. Ahmad Gardner. Trayvon Walker, Bernard Raymond, Trent McDuffie, Boye Mafe. These guys were flying up the board here in the last month or two. Why? They haven't played any more football. I get that the NFL scouts are now getting time to look at them, but these scouting services who have been doing big boards and mock drafts for months and months and months, they've had all the tape on them. And suddenly between December and March, this guy is suddenly way better than he was. That always concerns me when you see late risers or late fallers, unless a guy has some off the field issues, then I get dropping him. But I, I look at guys like an Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Derek Stingley, Tyler Linderbaum, your guy. These, these guys who we've known for months and months, you know, N'Kobe Dean, Drake London, we've known Jordan about Davis. them. Yeah, the, the man mountain that is Jordan Davis. Those yeah. kind of guys, just, just stick with them. You knew Devin Lloyd was going to be great September, October, November. Stick with him here. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I think 
maybe somehow NFL scouts, GMs, whoever kind of talk themselves into the potential of a guy and then start looking at combine numbers and the potential. And then they turn on the film and see a couple highlight plays of a guy and go, wow, he can do that. If he can do that on a consistent basis, he's going to be a superstar. Let's go for this guy over the consistent, the reliable, you get yourself into a little bit of trouble when you do that. And you brought up Bernard Ryman and man, I'm going, I'm going to riot if he ends up in green Bay, because uh, we do not need any 25 year old rookie offensive tackles in, uh, in green Bay. So aren't aren't your tackles like both pro bowlers? uh, Well, Elson Jenkins is a pro bowler. He will probably end up playing right tackle once he's back from injury. Uh, Bakhtiari, obviously, uh, Pro Bowl, All-Pro left tackle as well. So, yeah, we we do have two All-Pro tackles. The one pick that I would really like at 22, if we do stay at 22, is Kenyon Green. Um, He's very comparable. Elton Jenkins, who's been phenomenal. He can play center, guard, tackle. Jenkins can, and he can do all of it at a high level. And Kenyon Green reminds me a lot of him. And so to have him and have that extra offensive line flexibility, you say you need to get a receiver to help out Aaron Rodgers. What about just giving him the best offensive line he's ever had? Because we – Got our center of the future last year with Myers. He's been great. He'll be back. Bakhtiari will be back. Jenkins will be back at some point. Kenyon Green, plug him in, and you've got a heck of an offensive line that can protect Rodgers at any point in time. And so Rodgers, with all the time in the world to throw behind a solid offensive line, I don't really care who the receivers are Um, because – eventually someone's getting open and Aaron Rodgers is going to find them. So in a way that helps Aaron Rodgers. Now they, they are going to have to leave the draft with some receivers. They, they know that, but um, they don't need to reach on a guy that they don't like. What if your beloved Tyler Linderbaum is there at 22? Um, I would be all for that, but there would be questions. There would be questions about if Myers is Josh Myers is willing to move to guard because Tyler Linderbaum is a center. I think where Linderbaum is going to end up and it's rather unfortunate because he's falling for these concerns about his short arms, which really don't matter if you're an interior lineman, to be quite honest. Um, I think his great fit would be in Cincinnati. Um, so I'm, I'm really rooting for Linderbaum to Cincinnati because I think that would really complete the overhaul that Cincinnati has undergone on their offensive line this off season. And that would really make them pretty ferocious if they had all the weapons that they have coming back, Joe Burrow coming back. And now you've got a great offensive line to protect him. Yeah, that's that's going to be really scary for years to come if they're able to put all that together. For your money, is Tyler Linderbaum entering the NFL better than Brandon Scherf or Tristan Wirfs were when they came out? 
better than Scherf, not as good as Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs was also a guy who slid for whatever reason. I bet there's plenty of teams who wish they could redo that one because he's probably the best offensive tackle in football currently. Stop it. Um, what? Nothing. Did you tell me to stop it? Because I think he is. <laughs> I think he, I think he may be the best offensive tackle in football. So anyways, yeah, less than Tristan Wirfs, better than Scherf, which is, that's saying something. He's also very comparable to Yonda, Marshall Yonda in a lot of ways, who was nothing short of incredible. I think we are contractually ob- obligated somewhere to talk about quarterbacks with every mock draft conversation. I'm not going to say names, but I'll just put the over underline at three first round quarterbacks. Yeah, and I'll take the over because I think we're getting Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, and Sam Howell. Interesting. I think those four are going in the first round. New Orleans, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and one other team. Maybe Houston, maybe are they all in on Davis Mills? I, I don't know. The one that doesn't make sense to me, people are floating out there is Tennessee. I think you've got a good thing going with Tannehill. I'd ride that at least one more year before I jump ship. Cardinals off the board now that they got Kyler Murray. Um, I think I, I'm big on Carolina. I think Carolina is going to take somebody, and it may even be yeah, in that yeah. top 10 pick. I Everybody was in love with Matt Corral. No, all of a sudden he's fallen off the face of the earth and we love Malik Willis. I do think somebody's going to like Kenny Pickett. I agree with you. So Sam Howell's my favorite of the bunch, but I, I, those four would be my top four and it's, it could very well just be fit and what each team likes, but I think you'd have the right teams there. I would just add in the Panthers. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. The Panthers were the fourth team there. Um. One other thing we got we to gotta talk about, and I, I don't mean to throw too much shade here, but uh, is Iowa State finally going to break the fir- no first-rounder streak this year? Depends how much Buffalo loves Brees Hall. That That is exactly what I was thinking. Now, is that the best fit for him? Would Buffalo be the best fit of all the teams I've seen him projected to? I, I think so, because I've seen second round to Houston, and I'm not – a big fan of that for fantasy purposes, although he'd be the starter right away. I just don't like him in that offense because that is going to be a yucky offense to be a part of. Yeah. I, to me, there's two teams who absolutely need to get a running back high in this class. And you really have Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. The third as the two, maybe Isaiah Spiller, if you really like him, but I think the bills yeah. and the Eagles are the two that need to go running back early. I don't first round running backs. I don't care who they are or where they're from are just so risky. Everybody loves Saquon Barkley and the giants took him second overall. And he's had one great year and you Christian McCaffrey. These guys all get beat up. Derek Henry's this weird exception to the rule. And even he had an injury plagued year. So while I would love to see Mr. Hall get taken in the first round, Buffalo is the one that makes sense to me, but yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if any running back goes in the first round that I think those two guys are going to fall down to let's see Philly, Philly at 51 or Buffalo at 57. I would think each of those are likely spots for a running back. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think the other thing is that, you know, first round picks come with five-year contracts, second round picks come with four-year contracts. So, um, and we know that the shelf life of NFL running backs can be maybe right around that four or five year mark where you're kind of borderline, you know, you've taken on so many hits and so many carries to where maybe it's time to move on running backs, getting second deals, second, their second contracts are kind of a big deal. I mean, Zeke got a big second deal. Derrick Henry obviously did, but they're more the exception than the rule. Like a lot of teams are just like, okay, we used you up on your, on your rookie contract. Now we'll go get a new rookie to replace you. So we don't have to pay you big money on a second deal. So that's, that's kind of the other thing to consider as well. So it, I think Buffalo, Buffalo at 25 be the highest you would go. And then you get into maybe Atlanta at 43, but I think they have so many other needs to address before a running back. Uh, right. But could be a situation where all three Iowa colleges get a first round player taken. I don't know if that's ever happened. Oh yeah. Penning is definitely going first round. So Penning and Linderbaum and then Brees Hall possibly. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that's ever happened in, in history. So that would be quite something as well. I like uh, the Brees Hall to Buffalo fit for fantasy football purposes. I have, I have a first pick in a couple of dynasty drafts and uh, nice. looking forward to taking Brees Hall number one overall and upsetting all the Cyclone fans in my leagues. <laughs> I was working on the three round mock because I had that kind of time. I know nobody's going to like carrying this, but I think the Kansas city chiefs are in a great situation to come out of this draft with the, they have those 29 and 30 back to back, but they have one, two, three, four, five, six picks in the top 103. And they're already such a complete team. They don't have that many holes. When this thing's all said and done, the chiefs know how to draft. Andy Reid knows what he's doing. I could see this being the rich get richer. We'll be sitting here on Monday and the chiefs having the best draft of anybody, which I know nobody loves to hear, but. Yeah. We'll, um, yeah, I think it's definitely possible, but we'll see about that. And there may be 11 Georgia defensive players drafted in this draft, which is crazy. I, yeah, I, I can definitely see it. I mean, they had the best defense for a reason. Now now I'm looking to see if there's any other state that could have three colleges represented in the first round, but I don't think I can answer that question in this amount of time. Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm I'm just more interested to see if uh, Iowa, the state of Iowa, has ever had that. I really don't think so. I, just, I think I mean, that would be. I, Iowa State and you and I are not known for turning out NFL talent. No, but I believe that um, – Spencer Brown for you from you and I went first round last year. So you and I would be putting out first round back to back to back first round picks, which would be rather impressive. I don't know how many times that's happened in their history. I'm guessing never, (laughs) which weird. How are they suddenly getting top NFL linemen? I, I do not know. I mean, I guess their development program for offensive line must be incredible. So here's, here's, um, 
here's a quick little trivia for you. And I didn't realize this. I kind of thought he was a first or second under Spencer Brown went in the third round last year, which is still surprising. I thought he went higher. Well, I thought he was first rounder. Never mind. There, so um, the, the highest drafted UNI player ever was in the year 2000. I, I bet you would know this guy's name. I don't know if you can just pull this out of thin air, but he was an offensive lineman drafted in 2000. He's the highest drafted UNI player. the second round. Oh, man. Um, it's going to bug me that I don't know this. I believe he went to Applington Parkersburg for all of our AP fans out there. Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to feel really bad when you tell me who it is. When he was drafted by the Jaguars, 60th overall. Um, man, I really, I'm, no, I'm not with it tonight. Who is it? Brad Meester. A good NFL career. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Basically, you and I just turns out, turns out linemen and David Johnson. Yeah. And David Johnson. So nice. What else have you got before we duck out of here? You know, that's really it. I'm kind of looking forward to the draft. Kind of not. I, I'm a little bit more down on the draft than I have been. And, but I'll, I'll still watch it, but I'm a little bit more down on it than I have been. So. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be glued to the couch tomorrow night. I can't promise I'll watch rounds two through seven. I'll check in, but I am all in for round one just to see the randomness of it. I feel like it's just going to be wide open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're going to get some surprises, but I think I'll be uh, channel flipping between the NFL draft and the NBA playoffs tomorrow. It's a dream night for you. Absolutely. It's going to be a great night for me. I'd, I don't know if uh, the NFL draft will make the big TV at my house. It might make the smaller screen. <laughs> okay. So. I wanna, I'm going to end with another Iowa and draft-related trivia. Can you name the last three Iowa Hawkeyes to be drafted in the first round? And you really don't have to go that far back in history. No, I really don't. Um, well, we've got, we've got Werfs. There you go. 2020 Tristan Werfs. Yeah. Who was last year? What did I, hmm. did we have a guy last year? I can't remember. Off the top I'll help of you head. out. You did not. Your, your top drafted guy was Chauncey Golston in the third round last year. Chauncey Golston in the third round. Yeah. And then we also had a couple of other guys get drafted. Um, before that, it's got to be Fanton Hawkinson. You are correct. 2019, number eight, number 20, TJ Hawkinson and yeah. Noah Fant. Yeah. And then 2018, I can't remember. Was that? Uh, no, Epinesa was projected first round, but ended up going later. Yep. There's actually a little bit of a gap. So there was 2019, you had the two tight ends, and then you have to go all the way back to 2015 to find the last first rounder before that. I'm guessing that's Sheriff. That is. Yeah. Oh, so offensive linemen and tight ends, first rounders from Iowa. Who's who's surprised? Yeah, absolutely. No one is surprised by any <laughs> of that. So. That is uh, who we crank out for right. the first round positions. All right. Well, we are well over our hour time. We thank you all for joining us, being with us here on a fun episode for us, the Sports Gospel Podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, sportsgospel.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Thank you all for joining us. We will be back next week to, I'm sure what we're going to do on next week's episode. We have to see where we're at with NBA. I promise NHL fans will finally get the NHL playoffs on here recap the draft and just kind of spin the wheel and see what all we have going on in the sports world. 
We will see you next week.